0: Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center.
1: And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together, we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world.
0: Yeah, let's get started. And uh, welcome, everybody. This is Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan. This is Rich. Say hello, Rich. Hey, everybody. Looking forward to part two with Cleburne. Yeah. Hey guys, today we have Cleburne Walker. Night. Welcome Cleburne. It is wonderful to have you back.
2: I appreciate you guys for, for having me. It was really fun getting to, getting to chop it up last time.
0: Yeah. So, uh, believe it or not, this episode kind of went wildfire. People responded, um, a lot. Our, uh, stats went up way a lot and I'm excited to dive into part two. We realized we had a ton of topics we didn't really get to cover. Um, and the three are shadow work, jesus in the wilderness and what was the third one guys the CIA. I believe,
1: oh yeah jesus the CIA. went east with the magi right yes yeah. and the cia and the yeah. cia so yeah
0: we got to talk about these subjects and so if you're wondering what we're going to talk about today this is part two with Cleburne and we're going to dive into some really cool stuff um but so to start Cleburne, we as we were talking about before the show um We missed shadow work and that was Mm. something we really wanted to talk about. And so why don't we start with the idea of what do you mean by shadow work when you say those words?
2: All right. So shadow work, um, especially for the people who feel like that is teetering towards a demonic territory. Absolutely. Listen to this. This is the most important part you're probably going to take away. Um, So shadow work are those parts of ourselves that we do not look at. It's the parts of ourselves that we either ignore or judge or avoid. And anything that is ignored within us gets projected outwardly. So inside of each of us is the capacity for as much as anyone else has the capacity for. Um, this can be pretty well evidenced after we've lived through the past few years, after we lived through the, the ons, the onset of the COVID era, it became pretty quick to realize how, if we were alive at a different time and place, how easily we could be split up on either side of a topic and be pretty well radicalized. Right. So that is the outward projection of the individual's unmet shadow. So to get into shadow work, that is walking into the places of yourself that you used to not want to look at. Who would I be if? How bad could I be if? Who, how uh, How ashamed am I really of these things I have done wrong or deep down know that I could be potentially capable of if I was in that circumstance? If it was me doing that thing that that person did that I'm judging deep down, would I really have done any better or different? Maybe not. So, spending time in that energy and looking at it and watching it lose its power, now you have less fear of it. And then eventually, what happens is when you start to explore those energies within yourself and they become illuminated, you can start to realize that the shadows are the places where you haven't put your conscious attention because where your attention goes, you can see clearly and things become illuminated. You begin to realize you are the light where your attention goes with a accepting, non-fearful, loving energy, that is the Christ within each of us. That is your light. And that must be a solo internal practice first, going inside and reconciling all of your capacity for good or bad. And as you do that, as you start to accept the parts of yourself that you wouldn't have looked at before or would otherwise be ashamed of and Love it enough to say, man, all right, so I'm aware that under certain circumstances, this aspect of my potential might come out and it's not good. So for the people outside of me who, for whatever circumstances they were in, did bring that out of them, you can you can extend love, not permission necessarily, not, not saying, hey, it's all good. It's not all good, but you can understand and love them without judgment difference between discernment and judgment. And this is where you get into where people think it's demonic. And as sort of we chatted about last time, demons are just an energy. They're just a function of, of nature, right? They're no different than a gust of wind. They're just an energy body that latches onto people that cannot remain in the presence of love. They feed on fear and shame and all that, all that opposite end of the spectrum. They cannot remain in the presence of love. So as you go into your shadows and put your conscious awareness on it, now you see that area that seemed dark only because you weren't looking at it. But where you put your eyes within yourself, the light goes because your consciousness is the light that is the Christ within you. And as you illuminate those parts of yourself that were previously dark, that is integrating your shadow and filling out your body more with light. So you're not just partially lit up. You are a, become a whole lit up being as you begin to integrate more love into your personal embodiment, personal experience. And can you, you can let it flow outwardly in that way.
0: I So would you agree with the idea that your shadow is simply the energy you're avoiding? Cause essentially anything behind the source is in shadow. And if all the inner, cause here's the reality. When I do something that disrupts my life, it, That's an experience that creates some kind of conscious chemical reaction in my body that I want to avoid.
1: You can feel it almost, right? It's visceral, wouldn't you say, John? At
0: the base level, it's simply fear, okay? Because fear produces a chemical charge in your body. And what we want to do, I was thinking about this last night, we want to take that experience and we want to say, okay, I don't want to feel that chemical charge again. But so what we do is we take it out and we put it on the shelf and then- we leave it there and life mm-hmm. somehow stumbles to, cause it needs to get out. That's a, that's a limiting factor now in our life. It's where we're not willing to go. Yeah.
2: It never stops trying right. to have the conversation with you. It always shows yes. up as if you're, if you're committed to ignoring it within yourself, mm-hmm. you're going to see it in your external world a lot more right? right? until eventually you can't run any further fatigue catches up with you or satisfaction finds you and you sit still long enough that that conversation shows up again, because it always does. And eventually, yeah, as you begin to face it within yourself and kind of peel back those layer, those protective layers, um, that the ego creates around, around those things and just let go of fear enough to settle into it and realize there's no, there's nothing to be afraid of because that that potential, that capacity that you knew is there, that you were worried might come out and make you be somebody you don't want to be. As you let go of your fear and step into those energies, you realize those energies are not you. You won't become worse. You actually step more into your ability, your capacity to love, to be loved um, by giving those energies a little bit of love and attention and not running from them, not treating them like they are you know something to be rejected and ignored and, and neglected or or casting shame out on them in advance right um so well yeah, i think 100%. that's
0: the, the the work is or so what i've studied redemption a lot like what happens in that moment when you convert and alchemize the negative energy you convert it into something that becomes a lesson or value and i think that's the moment when we realize we can emotionally handle the experience because we never remove the experience from our life. So what changes? It's the conversion of the energy of it to say, oh, I can emotionally handle this experience. Well, I just Johnson, can I, up yeah, can
1: I add to that? Because I'm thinking yeah. specifically of Star Wars, for instance, and Luke, right? So he's about to face the emperor. And what he has, he's obviously gone down his journey as well, right? He, on Dagobah, he goes mm-hmm. down into the pit and he sees that that Vader, who he attacks, right? So he's going through these dark demons, if you would, of his own life. Now he's there uh, on the return of the Jedi, right? And he has the ability to relax and tap into the good side of the source, or he can draw that lightsaber and strike the Emperor down. And then, of course, we see the battle ensue. And going back and forth, you can see what he actually does is he taps into that dark side as he attacks his father, as he attacks Darth Vader again and again and again, and then I think somehow it comes back again and that's when the emperor gets pissed because he didn't holds back. So what I'm trying to understand here is, is it a dualistic thing Cleburne where you're always having this in the background and it's something that's part of your nature and you're keeping it in balance and you're giving light to it and you're affirming it, but you're keeping it at bay. Or is it something that, it would be good to get rid of completely. Again, we, we went, we talked uh, jokingly about what Nietzsche said and he goes, beware of the demons you exercise. They might be the best part of you. Right. Mm-hmm. And young is the man behind um, the shadow work. So help me flush out which of these, you know, doors we go, we open up.
2: That, uh, that analogy is actually so cool. The, the Luke Skywalker. Yeah. So as he, is. as he, as he went, which is symbolic, this shows up in a lot of movies, actually like now that I look back, but uh yeah. That little journey he went on into his own shadow realm, into exploring his his deepest fear, his deepest fear is knowing that he might become just like his father. He might become the bad guy, right? Because that's part of it, that. He comes from his father and that right. he, he doesn't want to be that. Now, how does he prevent becoming that? He doesn't k- kill his father. He loves him enough to say, I'm not going to Not only am I not going to be like you, but I'm not going to end you and then not be like you, right? Like he's like, it just stops here. It stops here. And he loved his dad enough to not proceed any further in that energy. There is no more fighting between me and you, father. I just love you. And that's it. That is where it stops. And then what did that do to his father? It gave him the permission to let go of the guilt and shame he'd been carrying. And that is 100% 100% the nature of shadow work as you look inside yourself, the things you look at that you used to be afraid you might become, once you let go of the fear of those possibilities and just simply show them actual love, not like not like a dismissive attempt to say, I'm going to you know, send you love, but like you actually embrace the fact that like you can't hurt me. I'm aware that that was a potential, but here's where it stops. We're just going to have love here. And then that energy begins to change. And once you do that enough in yourself, you can then do that in the world, in the collective, to other individuals you interact with. You can actually see what it is, you can actually see the demon, the the energy, the 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 unspoken thing deep down within them. And whether directly or indirectly, you can touch that energy with your energy and and it goes away.
0: Well, I think that's the hard part about, uh, doing shadow work is you're coming to terms with there's both the yin and the yang inside of you, the dark and Mm -hmm. the light, and it's not removing the dark. It's coming Mm -hmm. to terms with it.
2: It's integrating. Yes. So, uh, and I want to, since we like to, you know, we all kind of come from a, uh, a biblical framework so we can use that lens, but right up front, in the, in the Bible, the, the Adam and Eve story, um, you know, the, the serpent did not lie. He said, God didn't say you'll die or he he knows you won't die just on the day you eat of it. You'll be like him knowing good and evil. And then after that happens and God dishes out the, the adjustment to the paradigm, then God says, this is the Lord. God said, now the man has become as one of us plural, but the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. So this was part of the, the development of our consciousness. We had to know good and evil, not just have the option to pick one or the other. We needed to know it to become as God. And then the process of from there, having full grasp of both and choosing to reintegrate and move ourselves back into the Garden of Eden state of being has always been an available option for any of us. We could do that at any time. As soon as we work our way back into it, Um, but a lot of times we are stuck in this, uh, you know, that choice sounds good for a minute. And then I see something that I also like. that, you know, we uphold the duality by our own choice.
0: Well, I think that's what most theologians try to do though, is, or people understanding God, because ultimately the value of theology or the value of even any kind of theological discussion is to understand I am, Mm -hmm. because if we come to terms that I am the, I am like I'm not Jonathan. That's a construct that was created in this lifetime, but beyond that is the I am of me. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about theology, we're trying to understand what is that I am, and that's why Jesus has always been valuable for me, because the I am's response was pure love. Right. And that love allowed you to integrate both the good and the evil, both the Mm -hmm. good and the bad, the parts that you love about yourself and the part you don't, because how do you reconcile all of that? Yeah. That's grace. Grace is the unification of the good and the evil into what we call the unified field. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're both there and you're both okay if you experience either side. Right. And that's when we transmute all the negative energy to lessons. They become lessons to say, okay, you want to do this. It's going to produce this. You can do that. But guess what? It sucks. Like Paul said, all things are lawful. You can do anything in grace. Mm-hmm. But But not not everything is profitable. So when you do something that creates shame, guess what? That's your body telling you it's not a good thing to do. It's not morally wrong. God's not going to kick you out. But it's a God's
2: God's algorithm that's in place that has like like what you sow, you reap, what your your actions do. There will Mm -hmm. be an an aligned consequence. Um, And it's almost in that regard. If you take the emotional aspect out of it, it's mathematically perfect and- consistent it does not miss so uh, just start changing the variables in the equation would be a one way to look at it but yeah 100 everything you're you're saying like not so much getting so caught up on how good or bad it is just accepting that it's all part of the same on the same line i suppose
0: yeah i've, I've rich knows this because this is how rich and i met um i've been studying the garden of eden for probably the last 20 years And I think, because it's the original problem. It's not just the original sin as historians like to call it. It's the original problem. What created this disruption in humanity? And it comes up with this really unique idea that says there was this choice, the dichotomy, the first, actually, I think it's the second dichotomy. The first dichotomy is the split between man and woman. Uh, But this choice of are you good or evil? Because it's a question. It's a tree. It's asking a question. Are you good or evil? And if we choose evil, we get it wrong. If we choose good, which is inclusive of evil, we get it right because that's grace. We're trying to come to a place in term in life where we understand what does it mean to be I am in a human body. And gr- that's why in the integration of shadow work is... When we transform and transmute – I love, that's the way Sean Clayton put it. You transmute it and alchemize it into lessons that teach you something about life. Because going back to the Star Wars analogy is, if you look – what was it? The Last Jedi, the one where Mark Hamill came back? Like his he heard, wisdom he is that Jedi, he's, yes. had, yeah. Yeah, he he he's not – He was not affected by the same passions. He's worked through and experienced everything – And his wisdom is in knowing, okay, I know how to handle this. I know how to deal with these things. And I think that's the value of shadow work. People always look at shadow work, oh, I'm afraid of it. But the value of it is so incredible to transform your life because you no longer have to deal with all that shit. What was the value of shadow work in your life, Cleburne?
2: Uh, it It was exactly that. So it was being able to energetically spend time in spaces of my own capacity that I had regretted or had shame around or had worry about. And then also step energetically into look through the lens of people or circumstances in the world and history, like really look through that person's perspective and take ownership as though it were me doing these things that I had previously cast judgment on or labeled, um, in a negative way. And then by doing that, I realized I was, I was in effect carrying a collective weight of, of things that I don't want to align with or participate in. But by, by the way I was judging it, I was carrying the weight of it within myself. So stepping into it and trying to really understand what forgiveness like why that's such an important key right like what what even is love what even is forgiveness why is that so crucial um and how turning it inward and then that also sort of ties into the connection we all we all share the collective energy the collective consciousness and some of the the quantum stuff we we spoke about last time but that is the biggest thing it's um Realizing where the energetic connection is between me and other people and breaking down that lie, that illusion that we like to convince ourselves that I'm this one and only being in the universe. I'm just me and everybody else outside of me is either what I am choosing to call good or bad based on this framework that I have in my mind of what that means. Um, And that is an extremely egotistical standpoint. That's a, that's a very like limited viewpoint that is super prevalent in most, most churches these days, right? Like it's, uh, if everybody would do it the way I think (laughs) the world would be better, um, that's a hundred percent like as far away from, from what Jesus was trying to say, you know, as you, as you can get. So pausing me considering what's in me, I haven't considered and considering what's in other people and how that is also part of me and how I am part of that. Um, and reconciling with that, that is, that was how i How I experience shadow work, you could say,
1: yeah, hey Jonathan, I wanted to go back to your um your point in the garden, and you mentioned it was the first dichotomy where they it was the separation, the knowledge and the and the tree, but then you said, no, actually, the first dichotomy was mm-hmm. man versus woman um in my mind. That is a good dichotomy. Um, I don't know if God's purpose in creating woman from man was a microcosm of the Trinity. It is.
0: It's a it's a good dichotomy. It's the human experience. So she, yeah, Trinity. Eve came out of the heart, and so the separation is between the mind and the heart. So Adam represents the mind. Eve represents the heart. And through that experience, because what was his problem? He couldn't find anything satisfying. So he was given the heart and that's the first disruption. It's the first dichotomy between two independent ideas and now they're split. And so that was the first disruption to me. And that's what (laughs) I think God means. That's what I think God means. Or I don't know who said it. I think it was Paul or, um, I don't remember it was, or maybe it was in Genesis. Sorry. That the two shall become one. Yes. True shadow work is integrating the heart and the mind back together. Like men avoid the heart and the women avoid the mind. Yes. And that's the separation. And the birth of this new age is definitely feminine. And so what's arising is we've been masculine for 6,000 years or really since the birth of the church. And the integration of the feminine is that first the 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 reparation of that first problem because i think jesus solved the garden of the tree of knowledge love overcame what happened in the garden between the serpent so that problem has been solved for 2000 years but what was the first problem the first problem was the separation of the man and the woman and such the that is beginning to merge back together The head, masculine energy, and the heart, the feminine energy are now coming back together to form the age of Aquarius. Because we've said it's not a a strict shift from masculine to feminine. It's a a shift from masculine to wholeness, which is both. Yes.
1: Well, and I I guess that's, I mean, it's so funny because in in terms of where we want to be, we want to be in that unified field where there is no duality. Yes, that's the unified
0: field. Yes. Coherence is the unified field.
1: Yes. And, And so by integrating... The, the shadow to our light that yep. becomes the unified field. But that's what's, yes. that's why I was so confused because I thought, you know, in, 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 the book of Genesis, it was a good thing that God created a female to help, right? Yes, that's absolutely that was balance and help, but it's still a dichotomy. It's still a duality. I, I don't want to live by myself. I'm one with myself, right? But I think it's better to have another. And what I'm actually doing by having a spouse or, a, or somebody else is I'm yes. having Somebody to compliment me, and in many ways, it was so ironic about me and my wife is like I can't see far away. My wife can't see a menu in front of her. We're like they're gonna be this old couple where she's telling me where to get off on the off ramp, and I'm, you know, telling her what to order on the on the food, and it's like this amazing, you know, blend. But the question or this, it's it's a compliment as opposed to a becoming. Are we becoming one? I mean, and I guess what I'm going no, back. No, to-
0: you're actually so I because this is what I've been thinking about like over the last two months is this first dichotomy and what is happening is you're attracted to your partner so that they can reveal your uh negative feedback because your partner is going to be the one that's going to show you the most feedback because you're in a trusted committed relationship to say okay when i fuck up you're not going to leave me that's when marriage matters And so you're attracted to the person who's opposite you that will refract back to you your worst problems. That's the problem with marriage is when you create that relationship. But the goal isn't codependency where we're both complementing each other and solving each other's problems. The goal is unification of each person. So your wife becoming whole in and of herself and you becoming whole in and of yourself, that is... The first unification, that is the first dichotomy being corrected because the woman is not meant to be subject to the man and the man is not meant to be subject to the woman. They're both meant to be whole in and of themselves. But what happens is, is that we spend all of our time trying to create a codependent relationship. It's one of the most valuable things I've ever learned about my partner is that it's very easy for me to become codependent on her because I want her to solve my problems and she can't. Right, I want her to, but she can't. And when I rely on her, it that's when things just get fucked up really bad. And so when I then see my partner, as someone who refracts back to me, m- the the part that I need to integrate my shadow side, then she becomes very valuable because. And if I'm open to that, I can restore it within myself. This Does that is make funny. sense?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. This has been
0: great stuff. This, this, so- is a, this conversation is only two months old for me. I started oh. thinking about that because so Cleberman, I wrote a book on the garden of Eden and what happened. And so I've been in this question for 20 years of the garden of mm-hmm. Eden, but it's only the last couple of months, you know, harnessed with this idea of the age of Aquarius that wait a minute, there was a first economy because it started with the two shall become one. That's when I got it is he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about the two halves coming back into one as a Mm -hmm. whole human being.
2: Have you have you guys ever heard that that quote that uh, the the one became the many to experience the joy of becoming the one again? Yes, yes, Yes. yeah. That's that is that is the whole thing. And and as you so first of all yeah, like accepting your partner as a mirror, instead of like realizing that what you're seeing and thinking it's her, but accepting that she's a mirror and you're like, oh shit, that thing that's aggravating me or that I don't like, that's actually me. And she's here to show that to me and be present while I, while I have this. Um, the way you mentioned though, a couple of times, like problems to be solved, that is very much like a, a framework of how my, my mind works. And lately, um, I've been stepping out of that and understanding that you can't understand like you can't rationalize your way through this we want to we want to let the dots connect but uh spot on that it feels like the feminine energy in everybody is rising it doesn't mean like it's a it's a gonna be a woman uh a a matriarchy right like there's not a pendulum swing of power there is a unification that's happening um within the individuals and amongst the, the collective but um, a more feminine energy heading into this new, this new age is rather than looking at it as problems to solve. It's more like a, like a dance to be enjoyed. So that's how the feminine and energy
0: works. Yeah, exactly. The brain and is thinking a problem to solve yeah. the feminine. Okay, so, it's th- like- so this,
2: yeah. So this happened, this yes. created this rift. What's the atonement? What's the blah, 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 blah. And we've been doing that for a long time. And that, that doesn't vibe mm-hmm. as well. Um, there is a, there is a, a measure of that that is required but also allowing it to just be a fun process because again, like the divine creator of all doesn't make mistakes, right? Like it, even though right before the flood, it says, God, God regretted making man like this, this little human experiment isn't going the way I thought, right? Like that's all of us at some point catch ourselves and we're like, okay, I need to make an adjustment. So on each level, there are, there are um, equ- equalities like similarities from the, the cells dividing to the star's, Except you know, exploding all that stuff like the universe and the brain looks the same. So, in that regard, God doesn't make mistakes. We, each of us, the sons and daughters, experiencing separateness, moving back into union. Um, and then again, that's where I've been feeling lately. Like rather than looking at all this like it's some work to do, some problem to solve, mm-hmm. and I just feel so heavy, right? Like mm-hmm. um, it's exhausting. Uh, but rather just embracing the fact that you know what somehow. I, I like it's a cheesy thing when they say you've survived all your worst days, but when I really think about that, I'm like, okay, I actually did. I, I have survived my worst days. And although I have felt alone or whatever or you know, disadvantaged in some ways, somehow, here I am. and somehow whatever I needed has always showed up. And I wonder how much of what I needed was to to get to a point where I stopped needing to experience feeling miserable in the experience and just learned that I'm in a dance and maybe every now and then I'm not great at it. And I step on my partner's toes or they step on mine. And sometimes the rhythm is a little wonky, but the music is playing, right? Like the cosmos are singing to us. There's a, there's an orchestra that's so magnificent and we're on the, we're on the dance floor and learning to like feel that way about it, um, lets it be more fun and, you know, it could take me 40 years to get to a point where I could not feel emasculated to embrace the fact that it's okay to, to have, have fun with this experience. It doesn't have to be this thing that's here for me to, uh, work my way through. I don't have to like, I'm not supposed to be a, a martyr or a, or a, a emotional slave or any of that stuff. Like we, we can just embrace the, the process. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how you said two months ago recently. So that might be like in your relationship where that sort of shift may be happening that.
0: Oh, absolutely. It came. It, Cause here's the reality. Every time I want my wife to solve my problems, I get frustrated at myself because they she, she can't solve them. Yeah. So why am I project? You talked about shadow work is when we project our problems
2: onto people mm-hmm.
0: and and can't, what I realized. You can't solve
2: it. So you want to blame someone else for not solving no, it. No, no, no. Here's
0: you- what I think we do. I don't think we do it intentionally out of harm. I think we project it. Course. Because we don't know how to solve it. So we project mm-hmm. it onto someone and go, please solve it for me. Or mm-hmm. and we can do that with bad intentions, going, I don't know how to solve this. But at some point we're looking for someone else to solve it so we can they can help us understand to solve
2: it. Yeah. He who but looks because outside it comes dreams, with a It's
0: like that's not my responsibility. And so what I realized is that I keep becoming codependent on my wife to want to solve my problems and that doesn't work. Mm-hmm.
1: I think you know, she can help you work through those problems. I think that's where it gets good. That's why it's called a dance. Even Richard Rohr refers to he's got a book called The Divine Dance. It's about the Trinity, right? And about how that community of love is better than a uh, uh, one just mono one, one god only, right? And that's why it's 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 very very hard to uh, to kind of absorb what the trinity is but um there's some great ways of describing it and i think it is a dance between the father son
0: and the the spirit so well i think Um, that's where where i'm realizing with her is that what she's teaching me is the masculine energy is all about responsibility Mm -hmm. and feminine energy is all about compassion and we and and in grace we need both we need compassion works best first because it says, okay, I accept you in the middle of this failure. And then responsibility says, okay, but now it's time to step out of that. Like step out of the hole. You don't need to live in the hole anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause what a lot of people do when they have shadow work is they put themselves in a pit. Like I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And That's, nobody can So the can shadow, point. the shadow
2: they're avoiding when people stay there, the shadow they're avoiding is the, sh- the shadow of, uh, Stepping up, stepping up, Being, being their, being their own leader within themselves. They're, they're avoiding, they feel like that's something they can't do or something that's too hard or that's beyond them. So they embrace victimhood or lack or doubt, um, and project outwardly. You see this where they, you know, that's why we have icons like certain people that are considered leaders and then everybody can have a a good or bad opinion about them, right? Because everybody at some point is wrestling with their own inner leader and they project out who they prefer or don't prefer out on someone else. Uh, But hundred percent, it's like just avoiding what you feel like is the work because it feels too heavy. It's already overwhelming, right? Like being a man, especially up until very recently, there's a lot of expectations that people don't, you know, maybe not wrap their head around, but it's exhausting. And then the thought of having to do all this extra work, that's not in your wheelhouse, right? Like I'm all of my life. I've been a man. I've been told to think, be, be practical, be all these things. And now I've got to work on my emotions. That's what I've been trained not to do since as far as I can remember, that's too much. I can't do it. So that that's the shadow. I think that gets avoided when people are stuck in the, stuck in the rut. They're stuck in their comfort zone of avoiding the shadow of leadership.
0: So, um, I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to make sure we get to these other topics. Um, Because Shadow, I could talk about for six hours, and I don't want to do that on this episode. Um, You mentioned in the last episode, I think it was in the first 10 minutes when we were not recording about Jesus and the Magi. Can you set up that story? And then what is your take? Because this was where we were going with. What is your take on Jesus going East?
2: Right so the the story of uh the magi which is the the origin of the word where we get our word magic from the the magi right they were they were astrologers and practicing magicians um the the Zoroastrian priests that Zoro Zoroaster was the same story as Christ that like like timeline for timeline, but it's thousands of years older. So his story and his priesthood, which impact impacted Pythagoras and you know Greek uh, Greek philosophy and all this stuff, it has impacted the entire world. But it's in our Western world, it's not a, a name or a subject we talk about. But to Iranians and stuff like that, and in, in the Persian part of the world, um, it's still it's still pretty well known. But the fact that that story is historically verifiable and documented and made an appearance in the bible at such a crucial point at such a handoff point could not be to indicate that there's a conflict between these two these two ideas these two groups and these two stories right if it, if there was a conflict in all these centuries of somebody combing through the works of the bible would have thought to omit that so that they could prop it up as the one and only right thing it is subtle for the people who want to dig into it that there is a nod that connects jesus to the previous christ of that age and in that part of the world because each age and each part of the world had their own their own storyline that connects the same so the the magi those guys coming knowing knowing the stars so well so well the astrology and knowing that they were observant and spotted a star that that indicated the birth of the new christ the king of the jews it says in the bible so they went um a lot of people uh you could estimate that Jesus was somewhere around one years old by the time they show up, it was a bit of a long trip, but, uh, we know he was at least somewhere under two because when they came into the land and they had to talk to King Herod and he's like, what are you guys doing here? And they said, now this is another key that they were important people, right? They didn't just, I mean, they're talking to the King of the land to get his permission to come into the place and visit and bring gifts and stuff. So they were in an entourage. Um, they said, we've come to, to give, to give praise to the King of the Jews. Obviously he doesn't like that. So he put out a hit on all young males in the land that were under two years old. So baby Jesus was somewhere between birth and two years by their estimation. So they go visit with mom and dad, they bring gifts. They, uh, in my belief, and now I've spoken with other people that are strong channels, people are writing books on this, that this is, there's a lot of documentation that also falls in line with this, that they let mom and dad know that when baby Jesus got a little bit bigger, he could They wanted to take him right then when he was a child, but if they had started his training in a different land, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have had his roots firmly enough in that space where he was supposed to go spread his message. He wouldn't have come back to to um, technically modern day Palestine, but to uh, to bethlehem and jerusalem and and Galilee and all that stuff. Um, so anyways, right after they visit the parents and leave right in the Bible, the next, the very next verse is the flight to Egypt. That's where the archangel says, Hey, get up and leave right now. They leave in the middle of the night and they go raise Jesus in Egypt until King Herod dies. And it's safe to go back to their homeland. And then the next time we see Jesus, he's 12 years old. Mom and dad lose him for a day, and then it ends up being three days. By the time they make their way back and find him in a temple, he's speaking to the elders. They're astonished with the wisdom and power with which he's speaking. So he was raised in Egypt. Stands to reason that because in most places in the world other than America, and especially at that time, uh, cultures were aware of each other's teachings and traditions and languages and stuff like that. So he probably had a firm grasp on what uh, the theology of the time was in Egypt in their education system. He was speaking in a temple, which is a big problem I have with churches these days. They're uh, performance-based, tax-exempt businesses. They're not a temple of worship the way they used to be, Uh, a temple of Q&A type of situations where a 12-year-old could get up and speak powerfully. But he did that. Mom came and saw him. She said, we're worried sick. What are you doing? And he's like, what are you doing worrying about me? I'm here about my father's business. And she said, not yet, buddy. So the next thing it says, he went down and was subject to them. And then we don't hear from him again for a while. So those missing years, a lot of people speculate about this, but if you look into it, uh, if you, there's all kinds of, if you need to see with your eyes, documents that line up very clearly and sitting with it spiritually, it, it, brings true to me that at that time, when it was evident, he was ready to get like hit that next level of his education. Um, He went East. There are, there are historical documents in other parts of the world that when Jesus was there teaching and studying, records were kept and have been handed down for the couple of thousand years since then. But the Magi were who took him under their wing to continue. Giving him a formal education and empowering him for not only who he is and what he was built to do, but for the work, the message he was supposed to go back and share, and get him fully into his gifts, but also be supported while he was at a formidable age, right? Because you know there there are plenty of points that we talked about before in the Bible where it indicates Jesus did feel the feelings of a man. He did feel doubt or fear or, uh, you know, worry or frustration. So imagine a 13 year old with his hormones and his emotions and his feelings. If he wasn't in a space that was actively looking out for his growth and his development during this time, you know, he, we all get the support we need to learn the lessons we're supposed to learn. So that was his.
0: Rich, you want to respond? (laughs) Yeah, I
2: was
1: going to say the polemicist in me, um, or just maybe the devil's advocate would say, wouldn't he just have tapped into the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus was mm-hmm. fully God, fully man, and he was able to do amazing things. And that's because of the communion with the Father and or the Holy Buddy. Spirit. So is that, is that not a strong enough um, construct in terms of why he was able to do the things he was able to do and be that amazing person?
2: Have I got a good one for you. So John 1, 227, the anointing you receive from Christ lives in you. You don't need anyone to teach you something else. Instead, Christ's anointing teaches you about everything. His anointing is true and contains no lie. So live in Christ as he taught you to do. Now, Christ's anointing. Why do we anoint with oil right there? Now, this is That's also where your third sort of eye is. that seems awfully close to Eastern practices, right? Why is it yeah. oil? Have you guys heard about the Christ oil that secretes from inside your 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 uh, pineal gland, your claustrum, oh, right near your really? pineal gland? So every month, when your when you, the moon is in your sun cycle, so for me that's when the moon is in Libra. That's about a three day period. So I usually start two days before and go two days after. But your brain secretes an oil, the Christ oil, and this is a true story. So I want to hear
0: about this. Yeah, this it's one, this kidding. one's big.
2: If, if you guys haven't heard this. So the anointing of the Christ, the oil anointed with oil, your brain right near the pineal gland has a, has an organ called a claustrum, Santa Claus, the Christ. It secretes the Christ oil and it makes its way down your spine. There's 33 vertebrae in your spine. Christ lived 33 years in all stories at the cosmic, at the cellular through all ages, the stories, there's layers of equality and separation all happening at once. The Christ oil makes its way through your brain, through your chakras, through your heart center, be, be being activated, moving through your spinal column, down through your three vertebrae into your sacrum, into right. your sacrum, okay, and then makes its way back up. Now, if you can hold your sexual essence during this time, um not having any form of sexual release during this time not engaging mentally in lustful thoughts but just hold your energy this is important energy is hugely important and our sexual energy is massively spiritually significant right and all levels we could get into that a whole other thing too but your sexual energy prioritizing it and treating it as holy not because it's like right or wrong to have it but because god lives in me and right now the christ is doing a work to give me the knowledge of all It is empowering my brain to fire extra neurons to begin getting information so that I don't need anybody to teach me. But somebody somewhere along the line had to create this information that I could stumble across. That This is super verifiable. Um, The Christ oil makes its way down three days. This is a three day process. Think about that. How long was Christ dead for? So the Christ oil goes down to the sacrum. Some sort of chemical process happens during that time. And as it comes back up, through your heart and into your brain. If you cannot interrupt this process and let that oil come back into your brain into your skull, Christ was crucified on Golgotha and the, the King it's James the your your grandpa's version of the Bible make sure to point it's out skull. meaning skull. Yep. Okay. Uh where did Jacob wrestle with God in Peniel? He saw God eye to eye in Peniel. So we're getting really into the esoteric stuff here, but that is 100% the anointing of Christ that teaches you about all things that you don't need another man to teach you is harnessing the Christ within you. The Kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said that letting that oil do its work, prioritizing it, letting it kind of go down to hell, like go down to the root. Like the, if you, if you look at it from a chakra standpoint, what each chakra represents, if you can let it go all the way down and come back up, purifying all your chakras all the way up and open the crown chakra then you your your brain receptors become literally open to downloads from the the collective database of which we are all evidently tapped in if you look into that as well
1: so Jonathan um Dr. Joe and Gaia has this actually you can actually see it it actually talks about how this person it's a lot of breath work too and i don't know if it's similar or not but it shows them focusing and breathing up and it comes in and it does that it seems a little bit different than a three-day process but it's absolutely incredible but also what the parallel is is have you ever seen the tree of life in the kabbalistic um framework mm-hmm. where you've got the crown and you've got the root at the bottom and it all spreads out it's it is a tree of life similarly. yeah. It's called yeah. the saphiras right the, and the the crown, you,
2: you, were wearing, you were wearing that necklace the other day i think
1: yeah i just
0: don't have it on yet
1: yes yeah but the entire Kabbalistic tree of life goes through these processes where um, mm-hmm. each each um, Sephira, if you would, S-E-F-I-R-A-H-A, is, is has each of these particular foundations. And, of course, that's where your um, unified field is up here, pure consciousness in your crown. But you do have to go down into the root, and that's, of course, the tree of life. This is that's fascinating. I, I think offline, I would love to, to to spend a little more time with you digging in on that because that's something absolutely worth exploring. And
0: well, um, because it's a practice. Yes, course. Yeah, I, I didn't get into that. Can I, do yeah, it's I like, didn't get into that of the, the things last time. That we look for on this show is what are uh, those things people can do that have proactive value?
2: Yeah. The the last time you asked that, I kind of wasn't sure how to answer, so I, I mentioned uh, fasting, I guess. But uh, it would be cool to have a chat where we just go through like literal things you can do, like harnessing the Christ oil, fasting, different ways to, to pray or meditate or grounding, like all of that actual practical things to do. Cause for sure to neglect the the physical, to neglect the doing in the reality, um, if all is connected, you can't pick and choose which parts of the whole of, of God's creation that you want to decide are irrelevant or less important. Like all things can be your teacher, even though no thing must be your teacher is what I believe in all ways you can find yourself, find your way to God, but there's no one thing that's a must, because if there was any one thing that was a must, it would exclude so many people in the world throughout history who didn't have access to that one particular channel. Um, That's, that's what I have. Well, I think Um,
0: that's one of the reasons why I think there's a lot of validity, like, Regardless of the evidence, there's a lot of validity that Jesus fundamentally changed even his own society, the historical Mm -hmm. Hebrew faith, because what he presented looked a lot like a blend of the two.
2: Yeah, I mean, like that's like you can't ignore that reality. That it's a New Testament when people say that's New Agey. Well, bro, like we are in the New Age, right? Like that they literally your your great grandparents agreed things stopped here and became different at this point. And they literally created a new Testament where his preaching was, was literally love, right? Like it's no more go kill a ram for, for your atonement or, you know what I mean? There was no more eye for an eye, no more of that, like, like lost rationalization process. (laughs) It was simply an embodiment of, of love and union and acceptance that there's really not the separation between each of us as we think. And what you do for the least of these you do for me, love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That whole theme, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. doesn't just sound like a, something you tell a kindergartner to help them learn how to behave on the playground. It becomes like so completely profoundly true, um, when realizing that we're not separated, we're experiencing each other for the sake of having an experience through the, the, the trick of separation, but we're all here, connected, creating the experience together um, starts to get tricky to explain no this is so, this is
1: absolutely worthwhile i mean this this continues what time I mean do you need to drop off cleaver.
2: Uh, I, have a, I have another call to be on at 12, so in five minutes.
1: Five minutes. Okay, so we don't get into the CIA. Um, why don't we no, just- we not get the CIA.
2: The CIA is awesome because it's like our literal government with a document that you can pull from CIA.gov. You can go on the CIA's website and pull a document of them in 1983 studying how to astral project and how to literally let your energy body, your light, your consciousness, time travel to share and receive information and bring it back to the present. It's a literal CIA document, and in the document, it even says, "Okay, so in our findings, reality is more like a hologram than how we previously considered it, and it lines up perfectly with each of the the world's major philosophies and religions: the cosmic egg theory, the the principle of the holy trinity, um, like." Like they basically just said, okay, well, we have now proven that for thousands of years, what, what the, the great sages of the time have tried to tell us was actually right. So let's just go ahead and make this confidential dum-dums, right? Like. You know, why not just come out and be like, Hey guys, guess what? Uh, if you like the Upanishads, if you like the Holy Bible, if you, if you like, uh, if you're, if you're, if you like the Quran, uh, go ahead and actually read those things, but don't read them as they're like a checklist of to do's and don't do's, but read it. Like it's actually like the most mystical document you can get and read it in your language. Um, would have, would have been anyways. Yeah, that'll, that'll be so much fun to get in. I've actually got it printed out and stuff like that. We can, we can get into that next time. It'd be fun.
0: Can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, thanks for coming back, man. And we'll do, I'm sure we'll do a few of these because it sounds like we just, we have these wild conversations and I think they're very valuable because we're touching on things that are very core to what we like on this podcast, which is what it means to be human. And I think everybody's wrestling with how do I do shadow work? Everybody's wrestling with, okay, what does it mean to be, even a human being, I think Jesus is a good pointer, but everybody's coming from their own vein. And and Mm -hmm. our goal is really just to help people understand that it is possible to work through all of these things. It is possible to have really good conversations that are not shameful or guiltful, that they're holistic because they're starting from a framework of there is a good end game to all of this. Like we don't practice love or practice I am because it's the right thing to do. We do it because it produces a good life. And so that's what that's why I love having these conversations with you because you've definitely done that with us. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Beautiful guys. Thank you for thank you for the chat for letting me let me listen to you guys and share a bit.
1: Absolutely. Rich, any final words? I just say you know, that the dance is, is ubiquitous. I mean, I just feel like the energy and the conversations are just in flow with this and I'm looking forward to more conversations and, and, and learning and, and growing and, and spending more time with you. Peter. And it's been, it's been fantastic. Cool.
0: Thanks Absolutely. guys. All right. Thanks. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. This is living in the matrix podcast. Uh, please review comment and also let us know if you have a guest, we have been getting some amazing recommendations, uh, keep them coming. And, uh, Much love, everybody. Have a wonderful week.